Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. I think the, the WAP is, I think, the most important thing because the... Because remember, we're in the game of wealth generation. You may be in property or you may be a trader or you may be anything. And I think every anyone that really pigeonholes themselves is being myopic because we're all in the wealth generation journey, right? And you have to understand that as an investor, you need to know, you need to first of all understand, you have to use the correct weapon for the correct target and at the correct time. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Today, we have a special lesson for you. I'm putting it here on the podcast because I really believe that this is going to provide you massive, massive value. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And hey, listen, if this podcast was useful to you at all, I really highly suggest that you go check out the full trading course at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Markets are people. People are predictable. Outlier can show you how to track market fear and greed with artificial intelligence on over 1,300 of the largest market cap names. Visit outlier.com to learn more. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. They have a free pilot program for the rest of 2021 so you can get access to right now at O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. We have a special guest coming on the line today, Siam Kidd. Now, Siam, his website is called thewap.org. We've had several people talk about the VWAP. Today, we're going to be talking about the WAP, the W-A-P.org. He also has a, uh, a YouTube channel with tons of information out there. Uh, you can find that very easily by typing in Siam Kid, S-I-A-M-K-I-D-D into the YouTube search bar. And uh, Siam, hey, thanks so much for coming on the line today. I, I think we're going to learn a lot from you. Oh, well, thanks for having me. And I, and I hope I can help. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Siam and I were talking uh, before we got started here about that Elon Musk poster behind him. And uh, I, I'm such an Elon fan. I think he is this generation's. It's so funny. He's holding the, the Doge dog, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Christ. <laughs> and um, I think we're just getting starting with, with, with him. Um, I think that uh, he's amazing. He's going to be this generation's uh, Henry Ford and everything like that. But before we talk about Henry Ford and where that's going, tell us a little bit about Sam Kidd. Uh, I'm just a normal bloke with distinctly average qualities and skills. Um, I just... So from the age of like five, I always wanted to be an Air Force pilot. Um, and I basically became obsessed with flying and joining the Air Force. And I, I managed to do all sorts of scholarships. So even though I'm not clever academically, I managed to scrape through school and end up as a, an, a Royal Air Force pilot. I was only in for about seven years. So from eight, 18 to 25, but that was fun. Flew all over the world, loved it. Um, <clears throat> but the thing is, I was always balancing my air force career with trading and that was horrendous so it's a bit like a seesaw my flying was great my trading was bad and then as my trading improved my flying got worse um and yeah it, it was horrendous like the first year of trading i lost about 100k um and then over the next four years yeah, I just carried on losing. I had this, like, I was really reckless with not only on, on the markets, but also just money management full stop because <clears throat> I'm, I had this stupid system. I would take home uh, about £2,200 per month. That's my Air Force salary. Mm -hmm. I would blow two grand a month on the markets <laughs> and then £200 a month on partying and booze. So every month, that was all I would do. And everyone said, oh, Simon, yeah, he's that pilot with gambling. Addict. <laughs> and 
Yeah, pretty much. Because I'd have these massive wins, massive losses, and that yo-yo equity curve is just not healthy for your bank balance and also for your head. That's why I've got, I probably can't see, I've got some gray hairs and that's because the early years of trading. So, but yeah. That, that, that's super interesting. Uh, you know, <clears throat> every successful trader that I've talked to at this point, I, I, maybe not Avery, most 70% plus start out exactly the same way. It's, they spend the first four five, six years just figuring out every way to lose money, uh, myself included. <laughs> I, yeah. I blew up my account twice, man. I, I get it. And then at some point, oh, like, rookie numbers, mate, you got to get those numbers up. You have to, I call it your Wall Street <laughs> tuition, right? If you're going to go to school to learn to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, you're going to pay tuition to yeah. do that. And in the markets, I mean, that's what you're doing when you're losing the money in the first few years. And yeah. it definitely can mess with your head, right? <laughs> yeah. I must've blown up probably 20 plus accounts in those years. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh, wow. So, I thought I, uh, I thought I yeah. messed up bad with two. <laughs> so so you started trading in the air force what <clears throat> what happened at that point did you did you continue on trading and then you figured out your system while in the air force or, or you left the air force and then took a different turn well i was getting better but a lot slower because back then we didn't have google i think it was alta vista that i was using you know to do some research and the internet wasn't that big back back in the day so i had to basically teach myself and the first time I blew my account, it was, it took a day, two grand gone. Oh, oh yeah. I, literally, <laughs> I didn't I concept that everything. at first. You said you blew up your account <laughs> in one day. The, first, the opening oh. day. Oh, it looked, it, I remember it took like two or three days to get the money into the account. And then I blew it by the end of that night. How did you and then I had to wait a whole month. Back then, you couldn't even dummy trade. There wasn't the software. So I then have to wait, you know, for my salary to come in the next month. Uh, money came in. I blew up my account within a week. So there's there progress. Big time progress. <laughs> and it just yeah. Kept on doing it. And then by year four, by the end of year four, I was just break even. So I, I call year four to year six my doldrum years because it was just break even. I knew not what not to do. I knew like basically not how to blow up an account, but I evidently didn't know how to make profit. So I would be making profit. I'd, I'd be losing. So it, yeah, basically break even. But it was year six onwards. Um, that's when things changed. And so I've been trading for, oh, yeah, about 16 years now. So I think what there, there was a, a, a crux or culmination where I think when I was 24, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by mm -hmm. Rob Ki Robert Kiyosaki. That completely changed my, my way of looking at things. I was like, oh my God. Um, cause I'm a big fan that you should never do things that are incongruent to your goals. And so within the space of a year, I sort of got, the, got into the whole self-help sort of industry and, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Think and Grow Rich. I read all of these books, Jim Rohn. I became obsessed with Jim Rohn. What a legend. Les Brown. And I realized like my ideal monthly lifestyle back then, I, I wanted like £20,000 a month to take home. Um, and I then realized I would never, ever, ever get that in the Air Force. I mean, the prime minister doesn't even earn that. Like, and I asked, so one of these big old um, meetings, every now and then the station commander would get his junior pilots in and give us a pep talk. And I remember asking my mate, I was like, what's he on? And he was, oh, he's about 70, 80K. I was like, what? I've got to work another 30 odd years to potentially be in his position and, and make 70 to 80,000 pounds sterling, you know, a year. And I was like, I, I need that, you know, per quarter. And I realized I had to, I had to bang out. I had to leave the Air Force. And uh, yeah, so left the Air Force, went to become a full-time trader. And even though I was good, I blew up my account again. It was like, I hadn't, by that time, I hadn't blown up account for like three years. And then I just blew it up because I, I um, yeah, it was really bad. Because every, like everyone that knows me knew that I was like Mr. Air Force, Mr. Pilot. Like I would always, you know, lived and breathed the Air Force. I loved it. And they all said I was an idiot to leave a really cushy job uh, to become a full-time trader. Yeah. I said, like, no, I'm really good. I'm good now, honestly. Um, and then I blew up my account. I literally ended up with not much. I think I had like a 5,000 pound account with no job because I left the Air Force prematurely. Um, and then I realized our outgoings, me and my girlfriend at the time, um, we had like 2,000 pounds a month outgoings 
and all I had no job. I couldn't get any job. Uh, and all I had was a five grand account. I was like, right, I'm going to have to make two grand a month from my 5k account, which is before, like 40% ROI per month. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to happen. Right. I lasted three months. I made two grand a month for three months from that 5k account. And then I blew that up. And then I was like, oh, sh- sugar. Um, yeah. And that, that was horrendous. And I was on, on my knees, monetarily speaking. Um, so yeah, that wasn't a good, that's what I call my cheese and mayo sort of part of my life. Um, I remember we're in Lidl. So in, in the UK, there's this really cheap like supermarket where everything is dirt cheap. I mean, it probably isn't even food. Um, sorry, Lidl. Um, <laughs> but Ellie, my wife, or girlfriend, now wife, just came up to me in the aisle one day, went cheese or mayo and shrugged because we couldn't afford both. In the end, we had to get. They were luxuries. We got rid of the cheese and mayo, and I had to buy more rice and pasta. Um, and we were literally just living on rice and pasta for a few months. It was just horrendous. And then eventually, yeah, I got a job. Um, it was like a really shitty job. Hated it. It was like an admin job. Um, and then, I yeah, then I got into business. I, I quickly realised. And so here's the thing. Sorry, I, I know I'm waffling here. The thing that changed my trading career around massively was when I didn't have to rely on my trading account to pay for bills. And up until that point, for the first, I don't know, six, seven years of trading, I thought, right, trading is an income generating activity when it isn't, it really isn't. Um, And I realized, ah, okay, I get it. Trading is an amplifier, but not an income generating activity. So I needed something that can generate income and also capital. And then I'd use my trading to simply amplify. So if you're trading sensibly, you know, you could either amplify your account 10 to 20% in a year or minus 10% if you had a really bad year. Um, But you should never blow it. You should never blow up your account. You should never, ever even have a 20% drawdown um, if if your risk management is good enough. And so that's what got me into the whole world of business. And me being an idiot, I failed the first four businesses. I mean, they just never really took off. Um, I think I went down the, the, the average you know, road of like, right, I'm going to get into business. What are my skills? Nothing other than flying and trading. So I set up an aviation company that never took off. Excuse the pun. Um, like I did a, like helicopter wedding flights and private charter. And I did like a few jobs, but that didn't. Yeah. And then I set up a few other things. And then it was lucky business number four that took off. And then all of a sudden I had some spare capital. So I then just siphoned that capital over to my trading and my trading just grew it nicely. That makes sense. Now, let me ask you a question. Going back to your your cheese and mayo story. I love that, by the way. I really appreciate you opening up and and sharing. That's what makes makes character, right? I mean, you had tons of character coming through the Air Force and all the the struggles and, and everything that you learned along the ways. But when you... When you have to face the the challenge, you know, between like which one of these luxury items, it, we're not talking Lambo or Ferrari, we're talking cheese and mayo, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a great book um, uh, by Damon John, the uh, one of the guys from Shark Tank. I don't know if you know Shark Tank, okay. the Fubu guy from Shark Tank. Okay. Um, it's called The Power of Broke, and he talks about several different case studies where it's like this person had no choice. But to be successful, it's like Tony Robbins says, uh, you know, you burn the ships. So I want to ask you when you were going through that time, were you still following along with your Les Browns, with your Jim Rohns, or was that something you did before and kind of hung it up and went on your way? Yeah. Like by, by that point, I'd listened to everything, uh, like, like every self-help book you could think of, but I think. Every, like every now probably every two years i probably re-listen to the same 10 books or so and it tends to be jim Rohn, les brown all that sort of stuff um sorry the deliberate the, the, the all my dog goes nuts um the yeah so that sort of kept no i i use that for motivation because you know like one thing that really gets me is when people say oh money doesn't make you happy anyone that says money doesn't make you happy have never had money i've been unhappy and poor and unhappy and rich and i promise you now being unhappy and rich is way better oh yeah like 
I, I used to have this really arrogant saying, this is when I was, you know, a bit more cocky when in my younger years, I was like, I'd rather cry in my Aston than my Astra. Cause in the past I had a Vauxhall Astra, which is a heap of shit. Um, yeah. And I've had a string of Astons and, and I analyze my past and every time I've had unhappiness when rich compared to poor, I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't even compare. Like when you're rich and you're unhappy, you have all of your luxuries, you have hot water, <laughs> you have food, you have shelter, you have clothes, you have transportation, you have all of the things you take for granted. You've got Netflix for hell, Pete's sake. When you're poor and like, I really like, I had to get really meticulous about our food. As I said, pasta and rice. I worked out that I could only afford to spend like something like 10 pence a meal. Um, and in the end, the most luxurious meal I had was Marmite pasta. So you'd get pasta, heat some butter in and some Marmite in it. And then you have, yeah, it's nice. And it, we worked out like, yeah, that'll be 6p a meal. And that'll keep us going for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, sorry, I've completely forgotten your your question. No, that's um, all good. Uh, yeah, I, I, let me let me ask you this. So so one of the things that I do, I wake up super early. I'm a morning person. Um, and I start my day with what uh, Tony Robbins would call the hour of power. And I go for a walk. And on that walk, <clears throat> I go and I, I listen to either Les Brown or Jim Rohn or Tony Robbins or Bob Proctor. Uh, I mean, I have a, a list of people. And when, you know, when I finish one disc or whatever, I go the next person and kind of just cycle through there. Uh, so I, I kind of consider Jim Rohn like my grandpa, right? He's sitting yeah. there with his, uh, cool his voice. delivery. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, what is it? He's like, of course. And things like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think hearing that sort of positive self-talk over and over and over is so critical because your mind can always find the faults <clears throat> can always find the worst but when you can get the positive self-talk going at all times i think that totally yeah. changes your your day and your outlook and so that's why i begin my day that way yeah. so do you do you still continue on with these guys no i don't it's been like i'll probably reread the same bunch of books every couple a couple of years but i don't do any of the self-help stuff anymore like at worst well, not worse, but probably once a year, I may listen to a Les Brown video when things are a bit bad. Um, but I don't know. I, I think I've conditioned my brain to be just eternally positive. I call it pessimistic, positive and optimistic. Um, so I'm just, yeah, like these days I treat, well, in fact, let's start again. I treat vid um, life like a video game. So I'm a gamer. I'm a typical millennial. I love video games. I've been gaming What's your favorite game? At the moment, <laughs> Age of Empires. Shut up! No, I am There's... like I am neck deep in Age of Empires three. I never stop playing yeah. it at all times. No way! Yeah, <laughs> every night from ten p.m. till about one p one a.m. in the morning, I play a AOE online. It's Age of Empires two definitive two? edition. I don't understand, but people love two. <laughs> like that's that that's the one yes. to go to. Yeah, yeah, as well the online communities at anyway. That is so funny you say that because like I, I have just jumped all the way in. I will go hours and hours playing it and look up and be like, oh, I should probably stop now. I, I have a life with kids. I need to do other things. How funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, every night I've got a whole bunch of friends. I created this thing called Geek Club. It's, it's free. Just basically people that, you know, like Age of Empires and every night, you know, there's at least four of us on. Give each other some shit banter. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh scout rush them yeah wow anyway. how funny that that okay okay super off topic <laughs> i'm sorry but i was like i cannot believe that this guy plays the same games that i do yeah i used to play it when i was like 13 years old yeah <laughs> yeah i used to play it in college uh i got introduced to it with the uh, age of mythology and oh, okay. uh, my 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 roommate and i we'd sit on opposite ends of the the room battling no. each other right we'd be you know screaming words cake. at each other getting it yeah, <laughs> yeah. nice that's awesome. All right, all right. Oh, yeah. so, so you treat life like a video game. Oh, yeah. You're out there, you've got your villagers yeah. farming, you've got your villagers mining gold, you've got your villagers <laughs> cutting down trees. <laughs> if they don't, if no one listening has played Age of Empires, then they wouldn't get that. Sorry. You won't get this. 
yeah, the more town centers you have, the more villages you can pop out, hence the more gold miners. Like there's so many Age of Empire. In fact, it's a bit cheesy. On YouTube, I made a, an hour video of all of the Age of Empire lessons um, <laughs> that you can learn in real life. Um, Did yeah, you really? My... I, I got to go check that out. Oh, Wait, I'm gonna is it on I'll, your channel? I'll... Yeah, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'm typing it in right now. Um, Simon Kid, Age of Empires. There you go, I'm Simon. You and Life I just lessons became best from the game Age of yeah, Empires so... 2. Here we go. I'll share the link. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How funny. Oh, that that's great. we got to be sure to drop that in the uh, description yeah. so we can share that with um, everyone. But yeah, like so basically life is like a video game. So what happens in like the average person is when they have a knockback and something bad happens, I, I've seen people crumble mentally. And they're like, oh, I'm a victim. Woe is me. I don't know what to do. When shit happens to me all the time, Murphy's Law, yada, yada. I'm like, just, you sort of want to slap them silly. And like, when you lose a level at a computer game, what do you do? You don't cry in the corner. You just go, oh, that was bad. Okay, I won't do that again. Reset level, go. And so now in life, whenever I have a knockback, I just think, right, this is the boss boss time. I need to beat the boss before I can get to the next level. Um, so... In fact, as we speak right now, what is it, 17th of June, um, I've got quite a few um, hurdles in my life at the moment, business, etc. And and I was telling a mate the other day, like, what's going, ha what's happening? And he was like, bloody hell, mate. Like, and yeah, but you just got to, you know, just, you got to prioritize, you got to prioritize what is the nearest alligator or crocodile and shoot that thing first. Um and you, yeah, so, you yeah, know, on that topic, life, like right, there, there's a, a fantastic book called The One Thing that I read uh, a while Great ago. Um, yeah, and ever since book. that point, I, I do this in my life so much that my kids repeat it to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm like one thing at a time. I, I'm yeah. not going to try multitask. I'm going to give this one thing my attention. And then once that's done, I will move to the next thing. Um, I, I kid you not with my kids, like, Yesterday, um, I have a six-year-old and nine-year-old and my wife and I were trying to tell the six-year-old to do a couple different things. And he's like, mom, yeah. I can only do one thing at a time. Let me finish <laughs> this and I'll move on to the next thing. So it's, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I totally get the, uh, the video game aspect of things as well, right? Because yeah. I, I mean, you could look at trading in a way it's like you're gathering points, you know, yeah. like on a Mario game, you're gathering points kind of thing. That's one of the ways I look at it. But also, and we're getting really deep, really off topic here, but I super believe in like a simulation theory, right? Where, where you know, we were spiritual beings trapped in this physical body. This is super not on topic for the podcast whatsoever, but that's yeah. where we're going today. Yeah. And you could totally feel it like if it's like the movie Avatar or something like that, where, yeah, you know, you're transported into, in, into this, this realm. I mean, you could even look at it in a spiritual realm, right? Imagine you're, you're Christian, not saying anybody needs to be anything but imagine you're christian your heavenly you know spirit comes and fills this this uh meat suit if you want to think of it that way you move the meat suit around for a while and then you depart the meat suit and it's kind of like playing a video game right you're jumping into mario playing mario for a while and then you're yeah. jumping out of mario yeah and even from a technical point of view if you look at the progression of photorealistic images and videos etc like like as Elon said, if you were to be take a conservative progression by the year 2050, you'll be able to have virtual reality, which is indistinguishable from real life, as in the field of view you have right now, which is roughly 270 degrees with the resolution that we have, which I forgot the megapixels, but it's high. There will be VR goggles or headsets, which will be identical. So you can literally, you'll put your headset, like you won't know what's the difference. In fact, it won't even be a headset. It'll probably be a chip in your head. Yeah. Um, so when you look at just normal technological progression, just by the year 2050, so over the next 30 years, 20 to 30 years, it's going to be indistinguishable from real life. So it'll be like Ready Player One. Oh, now imagine, what a great movie. Yeah. yeah. But imagine what tech will be like in 200 years. Like we're going to have lots of metaverses where we'll be living in this real world, which will probably be for the privilege of the very rich that can enjoy it best. But for the average Joe, they'll be living in the metaverse or, you know, like Ready Player One, basically. And so, yeah, and this is where crypto fits in, you know. Yeah, in fact, that, that's going really off topic. We'll, we'll come back to crypto later. <laughs> so. yeah. No, no, no. I, I feel like that's a, a decent segue there. So 
so you're into the crypto space. Like I, I just observe, I haven't, I haven't played in there. You got the picture of, of Elon back there with, uh, with Doge. What, uh, <laughs> what do you think about the crypto space? Cause it seems like you, you have an opinion other than trading it. Oh yeah. So I have always been the worst critic for crypto. Like I was aware of it when it really sort of sprouting up in 2011 i know it was born in 2009 etc but I, I came across it in 2011 i thought nah it's shit rubbish i bought some uh, i got in 2012 i actually was part of a crypto mining business that didn't go very well um and i just and i said it's too like I, I've been, I was an experienced trader you know and i was like look look at this it's a tiny market cap extreme volatility it's extremely risky and like the world's biggest exchange back then was Mt. Gox, which was a, ga oh, yeah. a gaming card platform. Like, I don't know if you know, like Mt. The, the software they were using was from collector cards. That was the exchange. And they sort, huh. sort of went, oh, we'll use this for cryptos as well. Uh, yeah, it was ridiculous. And, I, and there's too much risk. And I was correct. And I said, we're going to have ridiculous pump and dumps across the board. You'll have crazy volatility, etc." And then I sort of closed my door to it. And then by 2016, things had changed. So like it was becoming more formalized and some bigger entities were starting to get into it. So all of a sudden it gained attraction. Now, again, I'm a gamer and I'm very aware of game theory. And I think more people should be aware of game theory because you can really anticipate all sorts of stuff if you understand game theory. And hell, I like, ch I, I like playing chess as well. And with chess, you've got to think ahead. So when you apply game theory and chess, et cetera, it became obvious that crypto was not a fly-by-night thing. It was a real thing. It was like the dawn of a new uh, revolution. And at the beginning of every new revolution, it's indistinguishable from a bubble. Every brand new rev revolutionary game-changing thing is indistinguishable from a bubble. So I spent many years saying it was bubble, 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 bubble. Then I realized, oh, actually, it's no longer a bubble. Just like the internet. Like the internet stormed on and everyone said, oh, it's rubbish. It's going to disappear, etc." And yes, the things built on the internet came and went. You know, pets.com, Enron went bust. Like, no, sorry, Enron's a different thing altogether. Um, loads of things came and go. But what stayed? It was the core infrastructure. It was the internet that stayed. It was like discovering a brand new land. It was like, from you know the Europeans discovering the United States for the first time, it was this brand new virgin land that everyone then rushed over to, um, and that's what the internet was back in the 1990s. So the overall and and so that was basically one of the best inventions in history because um, one it was the 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 real value behind it was network effect, and it was the it was the an internet of data. So well the internet was basically a network of data dissemination and 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 transference which is huge so fast forward a little bit um to now we have the dawn of a brand new revolution we have the internet which is the internet of data uh, and we now have crypto which is the internet of not only data but also wealth so it's, it's the internet of wealth um and wealth transfer let's say and so it's a brand new virgin land that's been discovered and there's going to be a huge migration over to crypto. And Bitcoin has gone through very, has gone through different forms, so to speak. So everyone, so it's first little, you know, stage, oh, it's going to be the new global money, etc. Everyone quickly realized Bitcoin is not supposed to be a currency. So, oh, okay. And so now after all these variations, the thing that people are sort of pinning Bitcoin on at the moment is it's digital gold. It has all the pros of gold, not many of the cons. It's way more liquid. It's just better than gold. And so a lot of the, the play these days is people think, oh, okay, gold has a market cap of $10 trillion. Bitcoin's likely to get up there. I mean, it hit over, it was over a trillion dollar market cap on its own. It's now what, 700, 700 billion. Um, and it's highly likely that, yeah, it will easily hit um, gold's market cap of $10 trillion. But it's more than that. It really is more than that. So you have to look at things from the biggest picture. So I have a weird mental exercise. So everything in my life, anything that's new to me or anything I don't understand, I imagine I'm an alien visiting Earth for the first time. And I go, and so being an alien, you're not stupid. So you're going to look at everything objectively, not subjectively, objectively. And you have no biases, no cognitive biases whatsoever. 
So you're like, okay, look at all these silly monkeys with, you know, you know, doing what we do. And so I then started looking, you know, at, so when you look at economics or money view from this alien mindset, you go, okay, so all of these little monkeys down on earth are playing with bits of, you know, ones and zeros and, and paper. Okay. Well, and they have this thing called wealth and they like wealth, you know, all that sort of stuff. So if I wanted to get wealthy, what, what do I do from the biggest macro point of view? You need to store your wealth in something that is hard, hard money. Well, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. And you need to spend stuff in, in a form which is, I guess, not hard, but runny, let's say. So what this means is if you take the US dollar, and it's the same, the UK pound, whatever, let's, let's take the dollar. The dollar is the biggest shit coin on the planet. It's one node. It's um, an unlimited max supply, an unlimited amount of inflows. I mean, hell, Biden's just trying to get six trillion <laughs> printed through. It, it, it's nuts. And so what all you know for a fact, especially if you look at the 100-year um, value chart of the US dollar, since 1913, it's lost 99% of its value. Same as the pound, same as free, pretty every fiat currency out there. And so you know for a fact that it can only decrease in value. So why on earth would you store your hard work and time in an asset or a form that's going to be flitted away? It's like being in the middle of the Sahara Desert or the Texas Desert and you're holding your wealth in ice cubes. It's not a wise choice. It's going to melt away. So what you need to do is store, store your, your wealth in something that won't be inflated away or wilted or melted away. So what is there? Okay, you, there's commodities, meh, gold and silver, meh. Um, I've been a big fan of gold and silver for the last 10 years, but there's a lot of pro cons. Um, it's not that liquid. Like I've been buying silver since 2009 and on paper, I've made a massive ROI. I've, like, like I've been buying silver since it was like $6 an ounce and it's now, I don't know, whatever, but I can't sell all of the physical coins because I'm getting absolutely rinsed in the, in the, <laughs> in the buyback prices. So right. it, it's not that good. Um, the, so when you look at Bitcoin, however, it is the best form of hard money that's ever existed. So one, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin ever. But in our, in our lifetimes, we'll only see about 20 million. The, the, the 21st millionth Bitcoin will be mined in the year 2140. We're not going to see that. So 95% of all the Bitcoin that's ever made and that will ever be out there is in the market right now. Okay. So let's call it 20. Well, at the moment, the circulating supply is about 18.7 uh, million, something like that. Um, but then you look at all the, all the Bitcoin that's been lost. So that's, that's irretrievable. I mean, I lost 15 Bitcoin back in 2017 um, just by sending it to the wrong address, which is horrendous. Oh, wow. um, so the reports are that there's roughly two to four million Bitcoin that have been lost. Um, you then have all of the Bitcoin that is held up by the strong hands. So miners, big funds, etc. So really, when you look at the circulating supply, there's only call it 10 million Bitcoin out there. And then you have all of the money. You have a tsunami of capital about to flow into these teeny weeny doors. So we'll easily see a million dollar Bitcoin by 2026. And I think at least $10 million by uh, 2030. Now that's for two reasons. One, because of the tokenomics behind it, but two, mainly because the US dollar is inflating itself away like ridiculously. So yeah, it'll be $10 million Bitcoin, but it will have the effective purchasing power of say a million dollars. Just look at your, um, I mean, if you, can I share my, will people be yeah, listening go for to this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can share your screen. Go ahead. Is it, okay, yeah. So if you, uh, I'll share my screen. Here we go. Sorry about the messy desktop. Um, if you go to the Federal Reserve website, so US Fred M2, something like this. You type, yeah, here we go. If you look at this one, so this is your M2 money supply. And it's rather insane. Again, it's the same for the UK. I'm yeah. not trying to slate the, you know, the, the dollar, etc. Any fiat currency, any government issued currency is a shitcoin. So if you were to just, um, let's get paint out here. So let's have a look. So what is the, let's chop this up. So there's what, 20, yeah, okay. It's $20 trillion out there. 
So let's chop this up into, I don't know, fours. Okay, so how long did it take for the US to print the first $5 trillion? Okay, so the first $5 trillion comes to this level here. So five, so 2001, okay. So from the beginning of the US till 2001, so when was, I think it's 1776. 1776, yeah. Yeah. We left uh, you guys. Check, check me out. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Brit that knows your birthday. <laughs> um, I, I can't do the maths though. So it's ironic. I'm a pilot, but I don't know maths. 2001 minus 1776. Two, so it's taken 225 years to get your first $5 trillion. Okay. Well, let's look at the next $5 trillion. So from $5 trillion to 10, where does 10 take us? 2012. I'm being very rough here, but you get the gist. So 2012 to get the next $5 trillion. Well, I can do that math. That's 11 years. What about the next $5 trillion? So, so it goes from $10 trillion up to $15 trillion. That takes us... 2019 end of 2019 so 2019 so what is that seven years and what about the next five well then that, that takes us to now 2021 we're we're literally as of april 20 trillion dollars so two years well doesn't this tell you a bit of a picture here <laughs> that's some compounded growth right there let me tell you Exactly. Compounding interest or exponential growth, you have exponential decay and exponential growth. Um, and once something enters that, that uh, realm, it's very hard to get rid of. So you're about to, in fact, put it this way, if, you just, if we were just to expand things, how long is it going to take for the next five trillion? Well, Biden's just come along and went, I want six trillion dollars. So the next six trillion dollars are going to happen by 2022. So this is now one year. Now, the thing with um, currency growth, we've had, well, I guess, 2,400 years of very accurate uh, monetary history. We know for a fact that every single time a currency has entered this slippery slide, it ends badly with a 100% track record. It always ends badly. And so what you're going to see is a massive hyperinflation at some point. At some point, it will go big inflation and big... In and then before you know it, it'll be like every... You know, the next stimulus package is going to be like $10 trillion. So by 2024, expect some sort of big stim package going to be of like $10 trillion. Um, and we're going to, so you know for a fact that the pound is going to, uh, sorry, the dollar is going to inflate away. So you need to get harbor your wealth in something that, that cannot ever be inflated away. So no amount of tech innovation will change the Bitcoin supply at all. No amount of space innovation or quantum innovation will change the Bitcoin supply. Um, it, it's, it's hard capped. Whereas a lot of people, a lot of gold bugs, and I used to be in that camp as well. Well, no, gold is money, blah, blah, blah. And it is. But we now have Elon roaring into space. And if you just go to the, you know, the uh, meteor belt between was it Mars and Jupiter, you can have, there, there are loads of little asteroids there, you know, half a mile or a mile wide with more gold than the whole planet. All it takes is for a little bit of asteroid mining on some of these asteroids and it will dump, it will destroy a whole market. What happens if Elon just drags back a, a gold meteor? <laughs> Puts it on a toe, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, obviously you won't be looking for gold. I mean, oxygen is the most valuable thing in space. So O2 and water. Well, actually water is because you can make O2 from water. So, because oxygen is fuel basically. So, yeah, like, so Bitcoin it is. Um, so I'm massively, in fact, I wrote a book in 2017, the crypto book. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Is that on like Amazon and everything? Yeah, I'd get the audio, um, Audible version on Audible. Um, Hang on, I'm going to find out on Amazon. But most of the things I've said in here have already come true. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah, there it is. Cool. So yeah, we'll drop a link in that for the uh, audience as well. Very cool. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm irresponsibly long in crypto because it's not risky anymore. It's volatile, uh, but it's not risky anymore. The explanation you gave on the money supply makes complete sense, and and seeing it graphically as well. So, but you mentioned something earlier. You said 
Bitcoin, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines of like, Bitcoin isn't right or Bitcoin's not meant to be a currency. Did I hear yeah. you correctly? Yeah. So what do you mean by that? It has, it can't scale. It, it cannot. So if you look at all of the transactions in the world right now, if you took it, if you look at Swift, the dollar payment network, everything that Visa is doing, and you basically just took a snapshot of the world as we know it. And I don't know the total amount of transactions per second, but it's going to be a lot. The Bitcoin network could never do that as it is. It needs a, it needs some, um, secondary layer bolt-ons like the lightning network i mean it could with that i mean there could be some bolt-ons you could put onto the bitcoin network which could do it but really it's not meant to be a global currency um the therefore and so i think a store of wealth is 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 the thing it's going to be it's going to be like digital gold and ignoring all of the up and downs i reckon it will end up sat there between 10 to 20 percent of the whole crypto market cap forever and the world's wealth will be measured in Bitcoin, not the dollar, eventually. And not now, eventually. And think of it, it's it's a foreign bank for everyone. It's a censorship, censorship resistant foreign bank um, for everyone. And when you have crypto, it's personal monetary sovereignty. There's no third party, uh, third party counter risk. You don't have to ask someone, can I have access to my money, please? Or it, it's your money. And so when you look at, um, it's not the best example. If you take a bank, okay? So you, let's say you have a bank that's got, you know, a billion dollars worth of uh, funds, okay? So it's looking after a billion dollars worth of people's funds. And yes, the bank will be worth, you know, its, it's share price will be worth something. But if it goes from say a billion dollars in, in funds to, I don't know, a hundred billion dollars in funds, it doesn't really add too much value to the share price because, it's still the same same thing. And Bitcoin, it's not the best analogy, but Bitcoin is that. So whether Bitcoin has $10 trillion market cap or $100 trillion market cap, it, doesn't, it won't really affect its value. The thing that affects Bitcoin's value is network effect. And network effect is the sole thing that's driving crypto. So what if yeah. we have because <clears throat> this is already starting to happen in, in some countries. What if we have the government step in and say, no Bitcoin for you? What happens then? Well, what just go to the countries where they've said no internet for you. So look at China. China's tried to ban the internet many times and it's got the most heavily <clears throat> censored, um, censored internet out there. Like you can't access Google, etc. But what happens is, and in fact, every time someone tries to ban Bitcoin, it's the best marketing that it could ask for. Right, uh, right. Because people just leave the country or people will just bypass it. They'll use a VPN. They'll do whatever. Um, ultimately, the they will ban it, by the way. There will be more countries going, oh, we banned Bitcoin or whatever. Um, but you can't stop it because the network effect. The, the reason Facebook's so valuable is because it's got like 2 billion people. If it were to lose half of its people, then its value crashes. Right. Um, and the easiest way to understand network effect um, is you have to look at it as nodes. So if you go back to the fax machine and the guy that has invented the fax machine and goes, oh, I've got a fax machine. What's it worth? It's nothing. You can't talk to anyone. So you get two fax machines. So all of a sudden you've got two nodes here. And, and so these two people can talk to each other. So there's some value. There's real utility value there. Now you add a third um, third node there's more value and then let's say, and then before you know it, you've got a whole bunch of people that can have a fax machine and if you connect all of the different lines to all of the different nodes you end up with uh, an exponential growth in the amount of lines of communication and so when you look at like bitcoin it's got a million wallets now so there's a roughly a million users uh, for bitcoin on a planet of 7.7 billion people um and so, and that's growing fast. All you need to look at is the on-chain data and you can see the amount of wallets and new wallets growth. It's, it's constant. Um, and the more users it, it gets, the more valuable it will get. Um, and also don't forget, the Bitcoin um, supply is def or disinflationary or it's deflationary compared to the dollar. Um, so can I share one more thing? Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Um, I won't go into too much depth, but stock to flow is something which I've been 
a fan of for a long time because they've used the stock to flow model for commodities for hundreds of years and stock to flow for bitcoin is is the only thing that has been consistently accurate and basically every four years bitcoin has this halving um and and, and the the supply of bitcoin halves every 10 minutes so back in the day when it first um came about 50 bitcoin were mined every every 10 minutes then you have a halving then it's 25 bitcoin every 10 minutes and to the point now, you only get 6.25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. So 900 Bitcoin a day. And therefore, the, the supply is diminishing. But the demand, even if it just remains constant, it's just tracking up this exponential curve. This is, this is a log chart, by the way. So the exponential curve on a log chart is bottom left to top right. So it hasn't departed exponential growth yet. But what we see is that every halving, you have, basically you have three years of consolidation, one year of crazy market uh, rallying and bitcoin always peaks in december always always peaks in december and it's normally 800 days until the next halving so people are worrying about this little downturn we had but it's nothing it's just a double double peak bull market just like we had in 2013 we had a double peak and so what always happens is it always overshoots the base plate and the base plate back in you know 2017 was ten thousand dollars um, and it shot up to 20, hovered around $10,000 for about three years during consolidation, and then boom. So the base plate around um, for, for this time round is $100,000. So we're most likely going to hit $100,000, $150,000 by December, and then it will probably consolidate for a bit. And so the real money, really, if you're getting into crypto, is not to make your money by December, January time. It's to keep your eye on the, eye on the prize for 2026, 20, where we should mm -hmm. see a million dollar Bitcoin. So now I'm pretty confident. I would say I'm 90% confident we're going to hit a million dollar Bitcoin by 2026. I'm, I'm, it's, there's, it's very hard to knock Bitcoin off that trajectory. However, whether it will, do, whether it will then go on to be the next one, I don't know. Because what this means in the next one, so the rally up to 2030 means Bitcoin will be $10 million, which is just insane. But the thing is, with exponential growth, nothing in nature remains in exponential growth for a long period of time. At some point, it breaks down. Uh, and what we don't know is the disconnect. We do not know when Bitcoin will disconnect from exponential growth. I mean, hell, human, human growth, we, are, we grow exponentially in the womb for a certain period of time, and then we stop exponential growth. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, and that's just one thing. There's, there's so many different models and indicators out there, but that's just... The easiest thing. That's the one I've shown my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. The so you can be honey, recklessly invested, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that that uh, that's really cool. I that's the first time I've seen that. Maybe the first time a lot of the audience has seen that as well. So I, I appreciate you you showing that. Yeah, it's fine. Um, man, we covered a lot today. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Sam, we could do this a couple more times. Easy. Yeah, sure. So, I, I'm I'm good for time. Hit me, hit me. Just ask me anything. I'm an open book. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate that very much because some people come in with an agenda and, uh, you wow. know, they have talking points and everything and mm -hmm. no, just have a chat. So yeah. we want to send everybody to thewap.org, T-H-E-W-A-P.org. Look up Siam's YouTube channel on YouTube, Siam Kid. Um, I will also have a link in the description to the life lessons from Age of Empires 2, which I, I will be watching <laughs> right after this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then uh, also Siam's book, the crypto book. Yeah, get it on Audible. I think the, the WAP is, I think, the most important thing because because remember, we are in the game of wealth generation. You may be in property or you may be a trader or you may be anything. And I think every anyone that really pigeonholes themselves is being myopic because we're all in the wealth generation journey, right? And you have to understand that as an investor, you need to know, you need to first of all understand, you have to use the correct weapon for the correct target and at the correct time. Um, and so you can't just be one thing. And so I've, I've realized over, over the years is that the way I make wealth is through businesses. So I've got nine businesses, um, they make profits and then they spit out some profits and then I grow that surplus capital with my trading and my well so that that does that and then my trading profits i then spin it off into other things crypto or, or whatever but if you were to then look at the trading bit 
I've then split that in half as well. You have your aggressive account where you go nuts and then you have your soft, normal DIY pension account where you're really sensible. But going back to the, the business thing, like it's so hard getting into business for the first time. You don't know what idea you're going to do. And if you do, you don't know how to implement it and you'll, you will fail your first bunch of businesses. So the WAP, the wealth action plan, I made it years before that stupid Cardi B song, by the way. Um, the, <laughs> uh, the, yeah, it covers, it's like a Netflix for business, life, money, investing. It covers everything. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, absolutely. We'll make sure we do that. So Sam, thank you so much for your time today. Really, uh, really great chat. Looking forward to doing oh, this again you. at some point. And uh, we'll make sure to send everybody to thewap.com or thewap.org. That's it. Yeah. Wap.org. Yeah, I don't want to send them to the wrong place. Thewap.org. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. No, thanks for having me. I hope it helps. Oh, without a doubt, I, I learned a ton for sure. And I hope you <laughs> learned a ton by tuning into today's podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and enable notifications. That way you never miss any of the tools, tips, and tricks that we upload every single week to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. Okay, so what'd you think? That was pretty incredible, right? Now, if you like that, that's only a taste, only a sample of what you're going to find in the full AI stock trading system. And I really highly encourage you to go and check this out. Obviously, you are interested in learning and how to trade, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Now, I'm going to take and download my entire trading system that I use day in and day out onto you. <laughs> and the only way I'm going to be able to do that is over at the AIStockTradingSystem.com. You're going to get phase one, two, and three, several bonuses. And on top of that, I'm going to walk you through over a dozen trades that I put on inside of my account, holding your hand and showing you exactly how I got in, how I got out, how I use the artificial intelligence data, and how this could work inside of your own trading portfolio on a daily basis. So make sure you head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com to learn more and to get started and to download my decade plus worth of trading experience into your hands so you can start using the AI Stock Trading System today, the five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. TimMinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. TimMinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit TimMinuteStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.